You're listening to Boston Uncommon, a production of Big Night Media. My name is Joe Mazzi, and welcome to Boston Uncommon, a unique, in-depth look at notable Bostonians, their passions, roadmap to success, and what makes them uncommonly Boston. Please take a moment to like, rate, comment, subscribe, share, tell a friend, whatever. Uh, got some sponsorship mentioned to get in here. Our good friends at Manscaped. Use the discount code FINDYOURBALLS. Go to manscaped.com and get 20% off free shipping, plus free shipping, with the code find your balls do it today Today we welcome a Boston institution a remarkable and ratings, radio success story for 40 years, appeared in a few movies, a few TV shows, a two-time Marconi Award winner, 12 are sold, sold out, one-man shows at the Wilbur, even uh, name-checked in a Mark Mark, Marky Mark Wahlberg song back in the day, a loving husband, a father of four beautiful girls, of course, Romo the dog, please welcome Matt Siegel. Maddie, good morning. Good morning, Joe. <laughs> How you been, buddy? Long time no see. It's so great to have you on the show. Uh, before, before we get into it, uh, I want to chat about the early years and your path to success and where you are today, but I want to talk about the unbelievable run you've had at Kiss on Away. Congrats on your anniversary. Uh, I read somewhere that you've been number one in the ratings with women since Jimmy Carter's been president. Outstanding. Well, you're very sweet. Uh, yeah, we've, it's been a great run. Uh, you know, yeah, we, we're, we've done pretty well. <laughs> I don't know what to say. Yeah, yeah. Well, Thank you. Well, let's start it this way. Let's start it this way. What makes you so successful with women? Did I stump you? What happened there? <laughs> well, I, do you want me to insert a stupid joke? Whatever you want, you want buddy. Yeah. No, but I, it's, a, it's a true say, statement. I would say traditionally... In uh, in the radio business, if you were had a radio station that was targeting women, you know you'd play it's 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 you play sort of softer music, and the content would be you know kind of fluffy. Um, you know you think of a famous male oriented uh, show like a Howard Stern or something. You think of a female as as the opposite of that, and um, that's not what we do. You know we 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 make them laugh. Yeah. Women like to laugh. Is that the old line? It's okay to laugh, just don't point and laugh. You know, but but yeah, I mean, I think that's that's the big thing. It's a comedy show. It, the reason it it has a more female base is because it's a top forty radio station, which demographically, historically, is a little more female than male. Um, so we kind of ran with that and. Um, it's just it's 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 a funny show. We we go for laughs, and um, most radio programs that target women are they're just a little on the soft side, and they're not well, they're not really funny, and, and then they're just kind of well. Here's what this celebrity did or that celebrity did, and I'm you know basically a, an irreverent comic, and uh, 
It's worked, apparently. Well, there's got to be a little more to it than that, though, Matt. I mean, obviously, the talent that you have, and, you know, we, we talked about that the show caters to women, but really, when you look at the ratings and your success, you appeal to kind of everybody, no? Well, you're making me, you know, self-conscious. But, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sorry. good at it, All I guess right. one would say. I mean, right. it's funny. Let's... I mean, I think of myself, you know, for, you know, I, I'm a pretty good interviewer and, um, you know, th- there's there's that aspect. But but mostly it's just, you know, I'm kind of like, you know, a, a comic on the radio rather than a radio guy. Sense. That makes sense. I mean, yeah. I don't do stand up, although I wrote a show and, you know, we sold, um you know, 15,000 seats for a radio for at the Wilbur theater. So legit big time. So I never thought of myself as a standup per se, but I think at this point in my career, I've come to realize that ah, okay. he's oh. a funny bastard. That guy, <laughs> he's a funny guy. I, I agree. I agree. So but listening to the uh, anniversary show, it was really, really was a blast. You know, the governor was on there, David Ortiz, all those pop stars, but uh, yeah. out of the blue comes country star Lee Bryce. And I could hear in your voice, you were truly surprised and blessed. What was that moment like for you? Well, that was the big surprise. I mean, you know, I've done this for a really long time and, and I kind of knew, I know how it works. I know they were able to get the governor and the mayor. I mean, I've, I've, you know, I've been recognized by the governor and the mayor before, so that wasn't a shock. The Lee Bryce thing was just, I happen to like a couple of Lee Bryce songs. So when they booked Lee Bryce out of the blue, I mean, we don't play Lee Bryce on this one away. They were just songs that I really liked, you know, and Love Like Crazy and Hard to Love and, you know, a few others. So when it, that was the shocker. I never expected to hear Lee Bryce's voice because it's not, he's not a Kiss artist. You know? Totally, totally. So I got a big kick out of that. Yeah, you could yeah. hear it in your voice. It was really. And a then, nice of course, moment. you know, I'm like, I'm quoting the lyrics of the songs to him and everything. It was, it was a treat. The whole show, I mean, I, I can't, the team, my company, not just my staff, but all of Kiss 108, they really, really did a nice job. And they, the part that got me personally was they interviewed all of my children mm. and then they produced it with the song, This Wasn't Lee Bryce, but the the song I loved her first, which is a song of about a father and daughter's first dance at the wedding. And he says to the groom, I loved her first. And that's like a tearjerker for me as the father of daughter. So it was one of the great days in my radio career. Yeah, it really, it was, really was know, a magical moment. And I was dreading it. I was dreading it because, you know, I felt so self-conscious, you know, four hours of people saying nice stuff about me. You know, I'm used to People not saying very nice things to me for most of my life. You know what I mean? Because if you dish it, you better be able to take it. So I'm kind of a ball buster. And so I've had my balls busted. And that's kind of where I'm most comfortable. So to have that show where everybody was saying all those nice things to me, it was a little out of my comfort zone, but pretty nice. Yeah, it was pretty awesome. Pretty awesome. So with the changes in radio and obviously your success over all these years, what do you really, honestly, now being serious, what do you think are some of those key successes that you've attributed to that you seem to be more popular now than you were back then? Well, uh, people tell me that I say things that they think, but don't say. And I, you know, that's not something you can do on purpose. You know, it just sort of happens that way. And, um, 
the way that I work is, you know, I, I, I'm more of a reactive comic. In other words, um, I respond to the moment. My dad was a writer, which is really interesting because he was the exact opposite. When you write a book, you know, you research it for a long time and you write it and you have the editors look at it and rewrite it and all that kind of stuff. And my skill is the opposite of that. You know, I kind of ad lib, you know, just kind of wing it with whatever's going on. I don't really prepare much for the show at all. It's just so what happens when I perform that way, it's like it feels real because it's in the moment. It doesn't feel like a gag. I mean, we've done gags a lot, obviously, over the years. We've done funny things. We've had a guy named Randy who works for your company and we put him in weird situations, but that's the minority of the shows. Most of the shows were me just kind of being me and talking about, uh, you know, my family and things that happened to me. And, you know, you know me, my temperament is such that I kind of lose it uh, <laughs> periodically. When I say periodically, I mean daily. And so that I think is why we've won all these years because it's real. Yeah. Like when I meet people on the street, they really, really, really think they know me. They know the names of my children. They know even the name of my dog. Right. You know, and I've heard that a thousand times in my career. You know, I don't, it's not like I put on my Maddie hat. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, it's just me. Right. Being me. And I th but when you're able to do that, then people connect to you. See, that's the trick. Now, when I say trick, it's not like I didn't do it on purpose. It just sort of worked out. But the trick is that, that my listeners feel like I'm a friend of theirs. You know, instead of, like, say, for example, I do a crappy show, you know, which happens, obviously. Some days I just do a crappy show. The listeners, most of my fans, rather than just say, well, that show sucked today, it's more like, oh, Matt's having a bad day. What's wrong with Matt? You know what I mean? Yeah, no, 100%. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's like that's how you build a fan base. It's like they, you know, cause I'm like their friend. And the reason they feel that way is because I do everything in, in the present. You know what I mean? Yeah. You don't record anything. Everything's live. Yeah. I mean, we have done this. No, but know. you know what I mean? Here, of course. But yeah, you know, and then they irritate me and then I complain and then clients drop their advertising <laughs> and I can bubble and, that's suspended and you know that but other than that everything's you know, fine been pretty good yeah <laughs> so uh we're, we're at our first segment in the show here, and this is like a get-to-know Matt. Obviously, you've been on the radio for a long time, but this is just a quick segment we do, first thing that kind of comes to your mind. It's just this or that type of questions. Uh, okay. Getting to know Matt Siegel. Here we go. New York okay. or L.A.? Yeah, L.A. Okay, good. Pizza, yeah, pizza or tacos? Well, I got a, a pizza oven from Bill Costa for Christmas. And my wife was a great cook. Like, I really like homemade pizzas. Yeah, I'm going to go with that. All right, yeah, pizza. And I think, yeah. I think I know the answer to this next one, cats or dogs. Well, I'm not, a, I mean, the answer is definitely a dog because, you know, I love my dog, but I had a cat for years. So I, you know, I've, I've had them both. I had a cat, but I'm definitely a dog guy now. Coco the Wonder Cat, I remember, sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Smartest person you know. You mean that I know personally? Yeah. Not famous person? No, you know. Uh... Friend of mine, John Connaughton, who runs Bain Private Equity. Last vacation. Not a lot of flies on that boy. Yeah. Last... He's my only billionaire friend. He's your only one? Real life is actually a billionaire. It's kind of cool. That is kind of cool. 
I've never hit him up for money, but I haven't needed to, but it's good to know. Um, title of your memoir. Well, it's been used, but it's not original, but I would steal it. And that's Memoirs of, a, of an Amnesiac. Would be the title of my memoir. <laughs> one superpower you wish you had. Oh, that's a good one. Um, well, you can't go wrong with flying. No, you can't. Yeah, I think I'd like that. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I know you're a big Halloween guy. What was your favorite Halloween costume? Uh, we went to a party dressed as Trump and Melania, and I have <laughs> Melania. You look good. I got to tell you, you know, with a big nose and everything, you'd think I wouldn't have been that good looking abroad. But I tell you, you know, I got long legs. I'm 6'3". You know, I got beautiful blue eyes. Uh, yeah, I pulled it off, I think. All right. Uh, perfect. I loved all those answers. They were magic. No, I have to say, I have to say, in fairness, no one else thought I pulled it off. Most people thought I looked pretty homely. But <laughs> in my mind, okay, Joe, in my mind, I was beautiful. I felt beautiful. Yeah, and I didn't need other people to tell me of my personal beauty. Beauty is from within. That's what they say. It, it is. It is. It is from uh, let's start with your early career, your, your choices that you made. I know you have a funny story that you were going to be a teacher. And, and what kind of made you choose that profession? You want me to tell that story? Yeah, you get whatever, whatever you want. Well, you could just say what, what made you go down that career path. I know you eventually became successful in radio and things like that. But what made you choose well, teacher? The, you know, like when I was in high school, I wasn't a particularly popular kid. I was just sort of a regular kid, you know. And they had a talent show in my high school that was kind of a big deal. Uh, you know, this is a million years ago, you know, but you know, the people had the little talents. Anyway, they had an MC of the talent show. And it was one of those things where I tried out for it. And in retrospect, how did I ever do that? Because I was pretty shy, you know, like there was no reason for me to think I could do that, but I did and I was, and I got it. And we worked with microphones and um, my English teacher told me, she says, you really sounded great, you know, the day after. said, you sounded really great on the microphone. You really have a nice sound in your voice, which I never thought of. So that was like the first time, because I liked radio. I was, you know, most people, but remember back then, that's all there was. Right. There was else, you know, so I was a fan of radio, as most kids were back in those days. But to think that I could do it or I sounded good on a microphone, because that was the very, very beginning of me thinking I could do it. But then you went to school and you, you thought you were going to be a teacher, right? Or no? Yeah. Well, yeah. What it, yeah. I mean, like the radio was like, I didn't, it didn't feel, you know, it felt too crazy. I wasn't great. You know, and I look at my life in retrospect, you know, I didn't start out as being a confident performer. I just started out as a skinny, nervous kid, you know? Um, so I never thought I could do radio for a living. I thought I liked it. And so I was going to, and also it was Vietnam. And, you know, if you weren't in college, you, you know, if you didn't have a, because radio, you wouldn't, you'd go right into radio. And if I went right into radio, I'd be drafted. And be, I didn't want to go to Vietnam. So I definitely went to college. And so I was going to, that's my dog. I love Romo. it. It's real. Hi, Romo. Quiet, please. Daddy's on a, on a podcast. Honey, take the dog. Sorry, it happens all the time. So anyway, long story short, I, I, I studied to be a teacher. My dad was a writer, as I told you. And so I was, you know, at the dinner table, my 
grammar was always corrected by my dad. So I figured I, I could be an English teacher. And uh, so I student taught my senior year. Honey, take the dog. <laughs> oh, for Christ's sake. This is my life. This is awesome. This is perfect, isn't it's it? so yeah. awesome. Of course. <laughs> and there's my wife ignoring me. Okay, so anyway, so uh, I was going to be a teacher and your senior year, I, I think they still do it this way. Um, you student teach at a local high school and your professor sits in the back and watches you teach and that's like your final exam. Come here, buddy. Come here, pal. He's on you the podcast the now. Yeah, he's okay. Come to daddy. Come here, baby. I just want you your go. attention. Okay. He's quiet. Okay, so your final exam is your professor watches you teach your class. So he, you know, I did it. And then all the kids left. And this is it. You know, this is my final exam, my senior year of high school. This I'm on my way to being a grown up, you know. Mm -hmm. And I said, how did I do? And he said, how do you think you did? And I said, I think I did pretty good. Everybody was really into it. And, you know, they were laughing. And it was, I thought it was good. And he says, well, you're very entertaining, but you really didn't teach anything. <laughs> so in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, my God, I'm going to, my, I'm ruined. What am, what am I going to do? You're like, you can imagine what went through my mind when he said that, right? And then he goes, have you ever thought of show business? Like, I, I look back on the story and I can't believe it really happened. He goes, have you ever thought of show business? I said, well, I, I worked at the local, you know, radio station, you know, for fun. And he said, and I quote, why don't you go into radio? <laughs> Do you believe that happened? What if he didn't say that? We what if he just gave me a C and I would have been teaching school in Utica, New York? <laughs> well, not now. I'd be and Boston yeah. has you as Maddie and in the morning. Really and I put the tape together and, you know, blah, rest is history. It's amazing. It's amazing. Isn't that the, I mean, like, that's one of those stories that I go, did I dream that or did that really happen, right? Well, as it happens, I met a guy years and years later who went to the same school. And I said, whatever happened to Mr. O'Mara? He says, well, he's long retired, but he got me this address and I wrote him a letter no and way. I told him the story and he called me and he, 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 he says, I love the story. And I told my wife, because at that point I was kind of well known. I'd won a bunch of national awards at that point, you know? And he was like saying, my wife said, look, you've created a star. And, you know, the teacher was all excited. And yeah, it's just, you know, a lot of luck in your life. That was, the, you know, amazing. Yeah, and speaking, um, speaking of luck, so it's also talent involved in your case. But you started in, well, you were in L.A. and you're doing voiceover and you're working in that industry. What brings you to Boston and then I know you had your late night TV show, talk show at the beginning. And that's another funny story. Okay. Well, what happened was, um, this is another thing that can't have happened, but it did. Okay. Like it's impossible. So I, 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 I broke into the business in Tucson. I worked in Tucson, Arizona for a couple of years. And then I got this job. I got offered a job doing uh, national radio commercial. So I actually left radio to do production because I wasn't making any money in Tucson. So I did that and then basically lost the gig. Um, you know, I was working for Warner Records and they let me go. They hired some other guy or whatever. So I'm out of work now. And my best friend at the time was living in Boston. I was living in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I didn't know what to do. I was out of work. I said, well, I'm going to go see my buddy and hang out 
you know, because I don't know what else to do. And then I came to Boston and I knew of this guy that worked at uh, BCN, which was a big rock station. Then. And uh, so I called the station to see if he was there, maybe help me. And he had he had been let go, too. Oh. So now I'm now I, I should add that I possibly had two or three joints before I made the phone call. <laughs> and, and I said, I said, well, you know, uh, let me talk to the program director. This is Matt Siegel from Warner Records. Now, I don't know where I was planning on going with this, <laughs> but I figured it was such, I would try. You know, I'm at, literally out of work. This right? is amazing. So the guy gets on the phone and he goes, Matt, how you doing? I go, what do you mean? Do you know you know me? And he goes, yeah, I've been following your career. And I go, what do you mean you're following my career? I don't have a career. I'm out of work. What are you talking about, right? He goes, when you were on, this is what the guy says to me. He says, when you were on the radio in Arizona, I was on opposite you on a different radio station. My girlfriend preferred your show to mine. And it's become a running joke with me and my girlfriend. And I've been following you. And I knew you moved to LA and all that. I go, you got to be kidding me. Wow. This can't be true. Long story short, he invited me in. Charles Lockwoodera had left uh, BCN <laughs> at the time. They had an opening in the morning. They said, would you like to do morning drive in Boston? $18,000 a year. Imagine. 18000 <laughs> like 10 minutes now. But, uh, and, but yeah, 18000 a year to do mornings. And then Charles came back, and then they moved me to middays, and then, then they... Uh, I don't know. I bopped around and then I got a TV thing on Channel 5 in the middle of the night. And then um, Richie Balsba, who had started Kiss 108, called me up out of the blue and offered me mornings. And that was 40 years ago. That's so crazy. Now, is there a. So, so the, the, to me, the amazing thing about my career is that for 40 years, I never moved. I just stayed a Kiss. But in the early part of my career, it was two or three incredible lucky things that happened one after another. That's probably why I never left Kiss. I was afraid I, my luck would run out. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's been very successful for sure. Is there, is there a radio person that you listen to or admire from your youth that you kind of emulate a little bit or no? There's a couple of guys, but nobody that I think you would know. There's a guy named Jonathan Schwartz out of New York City and W. He wasn't really a comic, though. He was more a storyteller. Like, I never thought of myself as a comic in the early years. I was more of a storyteller. I wasn't really, you know, I wasn't looking for the jokes like I do now. Now I just tell jokes. But when I first started out, I was more, there was that FM rock thing. It doesn't exist anymore. Where guys would go on the radio and, like, just talk in a stoner way about Jimi Hendrix or something. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. And uh, yeah, so that's those are the guys that I liked. And uh, that's why when I went to Kiss, I didn't know how to do Top 40. I didn't know. I never even listened to Top 40. Right. Let alone do it. So that was weird. But that's right. another all right, second second segment here is is a pet peeve segment. Just want to know what are some of Maddie in the morning's biggest pet peeves? Dogs barking in the background during interviews. That's a big one. That's a big one. Um, well, I mean, I have a lot of little funny pet peeves. But, yeah, what are they? But, the, you know, the, the, the big thing, the, the culture in the country right now, I, I don't know if it's a pet peeve. That's more like a big problem, you know? Yeah. I don't like 
Trump. I hated Trump. And now we have this thing, which is the opposite of Trump, where you, you know, you're not allowed to say if the boy is a boy, it's, it's, it's something that has a penis, but it could be a girl. Because, you know, I hate that. You know what I mean? Like, what totally. has happened to us? You know, remember, you used to kind of know who you were. And you knew what you, you know, were playing the, with. Yeah. The president was nice. Boys were boys, girls were girls. I, you know, now everything is up in the air. You know, I'm not that stable, Joe. Right. So when the yeah. world is stable, I don't. I, I lose my balance. I really do. I'd I like structure. You know, mm. and there doesn't seem to be the right structure anymore. Now, some of the the biggest moments in Boston in recent history. Could you excuse me for one second? Sure. Yeah. Honey, could you please do something with Romo? Thank you. Go ahead. So some of the biggest recent events in Boston's history you've been a part of, 9-11 comes to mind, certainly the marathon bombing and, and the pandemic recently. Uh, you've been there kind of to comfort and guide Bostonians through these tragic times. Do you feel a sense of responsibility or is it 100%. innate that you feel you're the, just doing what feels right? That's one of the things I'm most proud of. I did 40 years of telling jokes and being funny uh, and the shows that I'm most proud of, I didn't tell one joke. 9-11 was unbelievable. No, I stayed on the whole day. You know, I just stayed on and took calls and all that. I'm very proud of that. But, but, um, what, but why did you do that? Like, what was internal in, you, in your thinking that you said, hey, you know what's right at this moment is for me to stay on the air rather than get off at 10 o'clock? I don't know. Why does anybody stand up? <laughs> I mean, you know what I mean? Like, why, why does somebody say, I got this? Mm. You know, I got this. You know, somebody's on the ground, uh, you know, in a, a car accident, and some people move on and some people stay. And then and that particular day, 9-11, and then the marathon bombing literally was, just, it's happened again. So it was like twice. Um, I literally said, I got this. Right. And I'm, and I'm proud of it. And there were no jokes. Right. I really felt good about that. You know, I, I got this and I stayed, you know, and the next day and the next day. And, and one of the moments that, that always kind of encapsulates what, what, what Maddie is to me is like, and obviously being a Bostonian iconic figure in the city, is that after the Boston Marathon, they have this benefit concert. And there's big stars there, Aerosmith and Jim Buffett. And they tap you to introduce the show. Like, what, what was that feeling like for you to be part of that and, and to be the opening segment? It's huge. Overwhelming. So glad you brought that up. Uh, overwhelming pride. I was so proud that they asked me. I couldn't believe it. Yeah. You want me to do this? You know, I mean, really? The right. funny guy? And it was wonderful. And I wrote, you know, remember where I said earlier, I don't write things. That was one of the times I wrote a speech. Yeah. That was not, I wasn't, that was, I prepared and worked very hard on, on that. Well, I mean, I, I don't have a lot of time. It was the, a day. But um, yeah, I'm very, very proud of that. Yeah. Very, very proud of that. It was a touching and, moment. Uh, yeah, I'm glad you reminded me. I haven't thought about that in a long time. Oh, it's so, it was so, I, I, I actually, and I'm going to say this as, as a man, I was actually kind of really moved with your speech and really it kind of hit me right in the heart. I mean, brought to tears. It was, it was touching. Yeah. It was so cool. Me too. Yeah. Well, I think what, what an interesting thing that happened is that this uh, gal, Roseanne Sedoya, um, she lost a leg in the bombing. And this was, uh, then they called me up. Uh, a friend of hers called me up. They wanted to know if I would visit her in the hospital, you know, where she was recovering. Mm -hmm. And so 
so I was I, I through her I really had a personal connection to the bombing and my daughter was there taking pictures she was a, an art student and she was and she was there so I was on both of those things you know connected me very much to the bombing so I I don't know if that's why they asked me to speak but you know it all fell together mm. uh, in a very meaningful way for me so um like I you know the whole icon thing um you know, I don't like to talk about it because it's, you know, I'm like a self-deprecating kind of guy. Mm -hmm. But the truth is that at that moment, just like at 9-11, I really, really felt like David Ortiz felt. Mm. This is my, you know, like you could say, you know, we have sometimes we're number one in the ratings, sometimes we're not. You know, some people love the show, some people don't, you know, but it's my town. You know, I feel bad that, you know, I'm not there now because of, you know, the pandemic. I, you know, I ended up moving to Florida and that's a whole other story. But, but I, at those moments in my heart, I felt this is my town. I got this. I got this. Yeah. These are my listeners. I got this. Yeah. And then it turned out to be true. So pretty cool. And then like, really, there is a softer side to Maddie in the morning too. And, you know, many, no, people, there is, there is, and I'm going to bring it up. I'm bringing it up. And I want you to talk about it too, is that they see you as a jokester. They see you as a smart ass, unapproachable, a funny guy, but there is a serious side and a giving side that goes relatively unnoticed with Maddie in the morning. You know, I, and I was with you on some of these, you visited kids and nurses in the children's hospital, visiting victims at the marathon bombing. You just mentioned uh, the generous donations that go to various, charities that go relatively unheard of because you just do it. And then recently someone told me a story, Maddie in the Morning story, where you gave them, they had a newborn, you gave them your daughter's furniture and they were so moved by it. And, uh, you know, for me, selfishly too, uh, you, you probably don't remember this, but you gave me my first set of golf clubs and I'm not sure if that, I should thank you for that. But anyway, uh, there is a part of you that, that feels uncomfortable with your success. Is, is that why you kind of do these things kind of under the radar and don't like do the big PR fanfare around it? Um, yeah, I've always felt like, you know, if you're going to do a charity thing and then that, and you post a picture of it, you kind of ruined it. I don't know. I'm not that guy, but that, you know, I, I don't know. I, my goal has always been just to be like a good guy. I never wanted to be super duper good. You know what I mean? Like I didn't, you know, I don't set myself up that way, you know, yeah. and, but yeah, I'm a guy. I mean, you know, I've officiated a bunch of weddings, including yours. Yes. I remember very well. Thank yes. you. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean like, yeah, I'm, I'm a dad and a husband and yeah. I mean, I do a, I do a, I, it's like, I do a jokey radio show, but my life's not a joke. I, like my life is real. Mm. I just happen to tell idiots, jokes for a living but yeah i'm a person and you know i give to charity and all that kind of stuff and when you have four daughters oh my god mama like 27 you know totally you know i've had some you know i've had some my pain and like anybody else and lost loved ones and went through a tough divorce and that was hard and um yeah you know yeah. i've lived a full life good bad everything in between mm. you know all right, I got one more segment here. It's uh, called the odd question segment. All right, you ready for this one? Mm -hmm. they, cr they create a new position. 
It's created just for you. It's kind of like the overlord of the United States of America. The president, Congress, Senate, they all report to you, right? You got it? Of course they do. Right. You're with me so far? So one day they come to you. They say, Matt, we got a problem, huge problem. The entire country is on the brink of disaster, and the only way it can be saved is by getting rid of one state in the union. What state do you get rid of and why? Okay, hold on. I kind of ran a little technical thing. Oh, no. Did you say that? Yeah, yeah. I so that, so they come to you. It, in the head of the whole world, and what's the problem? No, the United States. It's the United States. You're the oh, overlord the of the United States. I'm the lord of the United States. And the president comes to you, the Congress, the Senate, and they say, Matt, we have a huge problem. We have to get rid of one state. What state do you get rid of and why? Well, I know you think I'm going to say New Hampshire because that's <laughs> like a running gag on my show. Right. I mean, this is a set. <laughs> this a, is a set. That's what I do. No, I'm going to say New Hampshire. <laughs> because that's a running gag. You know, I have an ex-wife from New Hampshire. Things didn't work out very well there. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> all right. All right. <laughs> Fair enough. So it's not New Hampshire. Joe, that's a setup question. All right, I don't fine. Hate New Hampshire. That's just a running gag. All right, all right, all right. Last question. Seriously, I, I know you're originally from New York, and but everyone considers you a Bostonian. What do you think makes you uniquely Boston? Well, it, it, what's amazing about this is that I'm not from Boston. I know. So I'm it's... not like I'm not a Bostonian, born and raised. Um, but. Again, this is a tough one to answer humility-wise, but I, I've heard it enough times. Like, everyone knows Maddie in the morning. You know what I mean? Like, to, I mean, everyone doesn't listen to my show, obviously. You know, we're kind of usually number one, you know, but not always. And, you know, so I don't think it's like, it's not like Howard Stern in New York City in, the, in his height. It's, I don't have those kind of numbers. But, um, yeah, it's kind of like I love that. Yeah. Like if you walk, if you walk down the street and you see somebody of a certain age, you know, ever heard of Maddie in the morning? It's like, yeah, of course. And I love that. I, a- do. I, I do. I do. I just it's my town, and I'm even from there. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I just I feel it. I own it. I love it. You know, yeah, I do. There's you know the, the Prue. Lockover, you know, Faneuil Hall, nine in the morning. Fenway Park. It. You're a Mount Rushmore of Boston. Let's just be honest. Or you well, won't admit it. I'll admit it. How's that? Yeah, I, I don't know what it means. You know, this is something I've really struggled with uh, around my anniversary. Like, I'm, like, come on, you know. I mean, I'm just a radio wise guy, you know. But, but with 9-11 and the marathon and, and that and being picked to host that concert, you know, yeah, it's kind of like, I'll take it. If people say, hey, Maddie in the morning, it's like, you know, people use the word iconic too much. I think it's kind of a cliche now. But if, if, if I'm considered a Boston guy, like a well-known Boston guy, I love it. Mm. Thank you. You're welcome. I, I accept. <laughs> you know, I, I would never in a million years go, Oh yeah, I'm the guy. I'm the most popular radio guy. I would never say that. Like number one radio guy. I wouldn't say that. But if I'm like, hey, I'm one of the guys you think about when you think about Boston, you know, I love it. I thank you. I if that's what you think, I've flattered beyond all imagining. I think that's a great way to end it right there, buddy.
Thank you so much for the time. Continued success, my friend. And give my best to Marianne and the girls, please. You're a legend. You're so nice, buddy. You and I go way, way, way back. I know. I don't know if people, we didn't mention this, but you were actually an intern for me, what, how many years ago? 30? Too, too, too long to mention out loud. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I, so, like, you know what? This meant a lot to me. I really appreciate you asking me to do it. No, it meant a lot to me. I mean, I, your anniversary and, and we're starting this thing over here and I wanted to uh, pay tribute to and kick it off with one of the guys that's a Mount Rushmore of Boston. The show is about Boston, Boston Uncommon. You are uncommonly Boston, my friend. Thank you, my brother. All right, be well. You too.